Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for this opportunity to come together to sit at your feet, Lord God, and have you teach us. We pray that you would speak to us, Lord, that you would uh, be touching our hearts now, Lord, that you would be cracking off the hard outer layers so that you might uh, transform us and redeem us by your power. And we pray that you would uh, make this day a special day for us, Lord, a day in which we can look back and say, I am never going to be the same again, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Please be seated. It's so good to see you all today. I'm impressed with you, brave folk. You're the few and the proud, I guess, who are willing to brave this ferocious storm. Yeah, you're not a Marine, though. That's good. They work for you as the Navy. That's right. Oh, no. Okay, I, I stepped into the wrong argument here. I'm an Army guy, so I try and stay away from that. Okay, so... I have, uh, here's the snake again, right? I've been waiting with bated breath to bring the stuffed snake again into the church. I love this thing, man. I really do. Uh, it was, uh, it might look grotesque, sure. I mean, it really is a stuffed snake. Somebody asked me after the first service, is it plastic? I said, no, this is snake skin. This is real cobra right here. Um, you can't buy them at the, you know, the dollar store. We got this one in Thailand, I think, right, Thailand, when I was a kid. Uh, so it's been with me for over 30 years. So it's rather special to me, right? Other kids have different, other kids have different play toys. I have a stuffed snake, <laughs> right? It kind of gives you an a unnerving look at my childhood. But that was one of my favorite things to play with. I, I, remember, I remember being up in my room and having this thing. You know, we had two of them. The other one was held together with a few wraps of electrical tape. Uh, it had had an unpleasant accident at some point in its life. You know, and so I kind of love this gruesome and grotesque thing. Is that weird? Yeah, it is a little weird, right? It's okay. It is a little odd. You know, but I think I have some biblical support for this. So um i think the israelites also learned to love something that was gruesome and grotesque as well in our old testament passage we have the amazingly beautiful love story of a snake attack (laughs) right this is not snakes on a plane this is snakes on the plane right and this is uh this is the the account of the snake attack in the wilderness on the nation of israel so here's the setting right The people of Israel have been freed from slavery by the powerful work of God. Right? This took place. How did this take place? You guys remember the story? Charlton Heston. Okay, the Exodus. That's right. And what happens in the Exodus? The parting of the Red Sea. What happened before that? The plagues. And the final plague was... Yeah, the angel of death, the killing of the firstborn. And how did the Israelites skip that one? The Passover lamb was sacrificed, right? And the blood was spread on the doorframe. And the angel of death then knew not to kill the child in that house, right? And so after that, the Israelites were were moving out. They came to the Red Sea. Moses raised the staff. They moved through on dry land. And then what happened? Closed it on top of the Egyptians, right? Cutting off any fear of attack from behind. And then the Israelites were in the wilderness with God. And what happened? 
They, they partied first, yeah, and then they grumbled. And uh, where'd they get food from? The super Target? What's that? Manna. Manna from the sky, right? So that every day the Israelites would go out and God would have this bread settle on the ground like dew. And they go out and they collect it up and it was good for one day. That's how we get, you know, our Lord's Prayer, our daily bread. That's what the manna was. It was bread for that day. And so uh, where'd they get water from? Alhambra? Water truck? Fiji? We're at the rock. That's right. Uh, God told Moses to whack the rock with his staff, and he did so, and then a spring came up out of the rock. Uh, and then where'd they get food? Where'd they get meat from? Quail, right? People were like, yeah, we got this bread, we got this water, but boy, we want some meat. I can understand these people, right? And so God caused the wind to, to come up and blow this, this huge flock of quail over on to the nation of Israel, and so they were able to have meat, too. Sounds pretty good, right? How much work did they have to do to collect this stuff up? Just a little bit, though, right? Because it was just there on the ground. And the thing was, the people who worked hard and the people who didn't work as hard all collected up enough for that day. So God was providing for them in every way possible in the wilderness. But here, and this was not an isolated event. The snakes are an isolated event. But the grumbling was not. The people were grumbling. They were frustrated with God and the path that he was leading them on. And so they say, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. Is that true? No. Okay. Just make sure. You always want to check the, the, the truth test, right? Is the grumbling true? No, it should not. They should not be. It, because right after that they say, and we detest the miserable food, this miserable food, right? It's not that there was no food and no water. It's rather that they just didn't like the food and the water that they were getting. The people were apparently frustrated with their, the meals that God was providing for them and that their journey was taking so long. Sounds like a, a typical Kellerman family road trip to me. You know, you get in the car, you got plenty of food, You've got, you know, beautiful views outside. And what happens? Have you ever ridden with me? How do you know that? That's right. There's complaining. There's, she touched me. Right? All that kind of stuff, you know. And you're like, come on. Give me a break. And so they blame. The Israelites are no different. Right? They're no different than us. They blame Moses and God for their problems and complain about the chow. They forget that God has given them food and water every single day. And he has promised to be with them always and not to abandon them. Now, in order to get their attention, uh, what does God do? This is where it diverges from a Kellerman family road trip, right? We don't have snakes in the car, unfortunately. Um, but God sends poisonous serpents among them. And what do they do? What do the snakes do? They bite the people. They do what snakes do, right? They bite people. And at this point, the Israelites realize they've made a major tactical error, right? There's never a wise plan to offend the God that created the universe. I mean, just put that in your notes, right, of things you don't want to do. 
Um, and so they immediately repent and they say, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you, Moses. Pray to the Lord to take the serpents from us. Yeah, not bad. Pretty clear, right? Uh, this also applies for rectors, I think, too. Uh, we have sinned by speaking against the Lord and the rector. Um, you might want... Ah, uh, ha, ha. Just joking. Um, no, so, so they complain about it, but then they, they realize, oh, wait, God has actually been providing for us, and now these snakes are here, so we really need God. We realize we really need him. So God tells Moses to make a serpent of bronze and put it on a pole, and when the Israelites are bitten by a snake, what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to look at it. Pretty complicated, right? Look at it. Why didn't he give them this whole list of hard things to do in order to be saved by looking at the snake? That's right. The grace of God, as Paul says in Ephesians, is a free gift. All they had to do was look at it. It's significant that he didn't give them a long list of prerequisites to look at the snake. He didn't say, okay, you got to give money, you got to walk three times around this mountain, you have to, you know, do all this other stuff. Because if there were a bunch of other things that were required in order to be saved, the people would think they had earned it, wouldn't they? They'd start to say, ah, you know, I'm sure the look into the snake was important, but really it was the other stuff I did that I earned this deliverance. Instead, all they had to do was look at the snake and be saved. Now, this is one of the more odd stories in the scriptures, right? We can kind of affirm that. I mean, this is you don't see this all the time, the herd of snakes and everything. But it's also critical for an understanding of how we relate to God. What did God want from the Israelites? To be obeyed and worshipped, and what else? Trust. Trust. God wanted them to trust him. He wanted them to be in relationship with him. And the foundation of any relationship is trust. He wanted them to be close to him, to depend upon him. But instead of trusting him, they felt that God had led them all the way out of Egypt. All these amazing things, right? He delivered them from all this stuff just so that they could die in the wilderness. And so God sent the snakes to bring them back to the place of dependence on him. When the snakes were running around, did the Israelites feel real independent? No. no. Suddenly they realized, oh my gosh, I can't control my life. It is spinning out of control. There are venomous snakes all over the place, and I, have no, I do not know what to do. So God sent those snakes to remind the Israelites that they needed to depend upon him. Through this event, through these snakes... He saved them from the consequences of their sin because they were able to see the direction their sin was taking them and repent. If he hadn't sent the snakes, the Israelites would have gone on happily complaining against God for the rest of their lives. Instead, he gave them an opportunity to turn back to him. Now, we live thousands of years after this event, and the last time I checked, snakes have not come through the church anytime recently, right? Yet God still wants a relationship with us. We, like the Israelites, 
act like we provide everything for ourselves, rarely acknowledging the daily gifts he gives us. And then we complain to him when things don't go our way. Is that true? I mean, think about the insurance industry, right? Um, Bad things like hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, what do they call them? Natural disasters or acts of God. Good weather, sunshine, the rain in its due season in proper amounts. What does the insurance agency call that? It just doesn't call it anything, right? Because that's what we deserve is all the good stuff. The bad stuff, no, that's God. That's God. You know, but no, like that beautiful sunshiny day we had, boy, I I deserve that sunshiny day. I earned that sucker. But no, God is punishing me when I get that hurricane, right? That's how we see the world is in terms of that. The good things we've earned, we deserve. The bad things, they're God's fault. In the same way, God in his grace, he allows, in the same way that in the Old Testament this happened with the snakes, God in his grace allows our sins to hurt us sometimes. He allows us to feel the consequences of our sin. In the same way that being singed with a fire warns us to do what? Back off, to move away from it. In the same way, God allows us to feel the consequences of our brokenness so that we can pull away from whatever is leading us in that direction and turn to him. The Bible tells us that if we did not turn away from sin, the result would be death. The book of Romans tells us the wages of sin is death. And so those consequences, those things remind us that, look, if we don't turn away from this, it is going to lead to eternal death for us. God offers us another way. He calls us, instead of that life of death, he calls us to look to the grotesque, to look to the last thing we would ever think to look for for healing and salvation. He calls us to look to a broken man on a cross. Is a broken man on a cross in any position to help you in like the world's view no not at all but jesus says to nicodemus just as moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life because we as christians believe that that bloody dying man on the cross was not just a man but was God himself. He stepped down into this world and became a person who was denied by all. He, in his love, took our filth upon himself so that through his heinous death we could be given life, if only we would believe in him. That cross with our Savior on it is every bit as grotesque as that snake in the wilderness on the pole. It's every bit as ugly, heinous, difficult to look at, and yet just like that event in the Old Testament, it is the path to salvation. It is the deliverance from death. I love this snake. I love this snake because it's safe. 
If it were alive, how do you think my relationship with the snake would be? <laughs> Difficult. I would not be quite so close with it, right? I would not. Uh, I would not really touch it because what happens if you play with a cobra? They bite you, right? That's kind of the way the world works, right? You pay. You play with fire, you get burned. You play with a cobra, they bite you, right? My relationship would be changed if it were not so safe. And the reality is, is that my sin is more deadly than this thing is alive. My sin is more deadly than the most venomous snake in the world. Because sin is guaranteed 100% of the time to bring death as its consequence. The cobra... You don't always die if you get bit by a cobra. Some people survive it. But sin, everyone who is bit with the fangs of sin, dies from that. Yet Jesus Christ offers us the antivenom. So today, if you find yourself suffering the sting of the consequences of sin, or, you're, if, you're, or if your actions are biting you and the venom is seeping in, Look to Jesus Christ and be saved. There's no complicated process to it. There's no seven steps you need to do before you look to Jesus. There's only one step. And our only requirement as Christians is to look to him and be saved. So may we do that today and thereby access the grace of God and be forgiven and brought to eternal life with him. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you offer us hope in the midst of a life, Lord, that, that we have messed up in so many ways, Lord God. You offer us freedom from sin and grace, Lord, to, to live anew in you. Lord, we confess to you the ways that we have grumbled against you, the ways that we have turned away from you, the ways that we have complained against uh, what you have done in our life, Lord. Help us to turn to you. Help us to see our sin for what it truly is. And may we turn away from it and turn to you and love you with our heart, our soul, and our mind. And we pray, Lord, that you would redeem us, that by your grace you would forgive us, and that we would be raised to eternal life with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.